0: Welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Let's get started. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. I am thrilled to bring you our guest today. Joe Jacoby is an Olympic gold medalist, performance coach, sports commentator, former CEO, marathoner, and author who guides high performance leaders to ignite their second wind to confront challenging midlife transitions with meaning and adventure. He practices and refines the core principles and strategies of midlife peak performance, which we are going to talk about, (laughs) in his own life and pursuits at his Pyrenees Mountains home beside the 1992 Olympic canoeing venue in the Spanish state of Catalonia. The same canoeing venue where he and his canoeing partner Scott Strasbaugh won the America's first ever Olympic gold medal in the sport of whitewater canoe slalom in the 1992 Olympic Games. In 2022 and eight years into writing his popular weekly essays, Sunday Morning Joe, Joe published his first book, Six River Classes, about how to confront obstacles, advance amid uncertainty, and bring focus to what matters most, Joe's Reflections, Experiences, Relationships and Strategies for More Than 40 Years on the River, Transferred to Navigating Your River of the Life. Welcome, Joe. So happy to have you. And by the way, I had to cut that way down.
1: (laughs) I'm glad you did. I was getting tired listening to it, but you read it so nicely. Thank you so much, Lizzie. It's great to be here speaking with you today.
0: The pleasure is mine. So for those people that don't know you, can you give a little bit of your background?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I just sort of probably most simply like to say, I feel like I'm just living a great adventure right now. I am I'm situated in the, uh, the Pyrenees Mountains in the Spanish state of Catalonia. I live right next to the 1992 Olympic venue where my canoe partner and I won the Olympic Games, but I didn't come here five and a half years ago to rub up against that success Lindsay, I think that being here was really that searching for uh, a quality of life adventure and searching for like a way to really learn new things. Um, I think when you when you wake up every morning and there's just this little moment like where you hear like a funny language being spoken outside your house that not your you know your native language, and you the smells are different. And there's just this a moment, a couple of seconds at most, that just say, uh, where am I? What's going on here? And then you remember, oh, yeah, this is what I signed You're up right for. So yeah. Learning yeah. is really kind of a way of surviving. Like, it, it, no one speaks English where I live up in Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, it's it, not even they, everyone speaks Spanish, but Catalan is the, is the native language here. And that's the language that I practice. So I like that you know, that's the way I survive. That's the way I go to the dentist. That's the way I get a haircut. That's the way I go to the supermarket. It's the way I keep my house warm. You know, it kind of forces me to always be learning. And so that's kind of a sense of of who I am and, and, and where I am at uh, kind of hopefully at the beginning of the second half of life.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love that you said that. And I always try to impress upon leaders that you're never done learning. And I think there's this misconception that um, when people get promoted into a job or selected for a job, they're supposed to come in knowing everything. And there's no possible way you could know everything. And if you do, you're deeply overqualified. But you were CEO of the Olympics and, and, and the Paralympics. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and what it taught you?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, that 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 could be the rest of the podcast. I'm not <laughs> sure we, we want to do that, but I like what you just said. And I, I think that a lot of times when we think about advancement or new opportunities in life as leaders, we think that we're going to get hired based on what we already know that we can already do the job right now. And I think there's a, deg- a degree of that that could be true, Lindsay, but I also think that there's another way of looking at it that really what the organization or the per- the people overseeing that part of advancement may be looking for is the person that is capable that to- believes they can learn the most in the time that they're going to be doing that, that job, that responsibility. And so I probably didn't have quite that sense of perspective when I took the job at USA Canoe Kayak. So this was 2009. I was around 40. Uh, I I can't probably late 30s, actually, maybe around 40. And I had never had like a paycheck job in my life. Everything I had done was small business, entrepreneurship, contract work. You know, I I was an athlete up until I I did my last Olympics at 34 years old. So I mean, it was only five years later that I was the CEO of USA Canoe Kayaks. I was very motivated because it was my sport, right? And I believed that a lot of the systems and methodologies of high performance that I had been exposed to, as an athlete, could be enacted well within the sport of canoeing. Mm -hmm. And I, I just didn't have the capabilities, or there just was missing something to kind of really get that kind of traction. And I really lost my way quickly. Like when I was started the job at USA canoe kayak, I was really good at taking care of others. You know, all these Olympic sports are these membership based organization with volunteer leadership committees and boards of directors and and the United States. I mean, everyone gets all excited about the Olympic games but what's hard about the United States is its size, Mm -hmm. its geography. And so you have people spread out culturally, the the people in the United States are really different from one another. It's both a strong point and it also makes work really hard. Like sometimes organizing and getting to the center of an idea can happen more quickly in smaller countries. Again, there's pros and cons to it. Like I don't want to say that one thing is better than the other. I just want to say that I was really bad at taking care of myself initially when I started that job. And if someone needed something, I was like, okay, that's the next thing that just needs to get done. Right. And I lost myself in that process. I didn't, I really started to not care for the people I was serving so much. I didn't really like their approach. I was just not taking care of myself. So I got to a point where I weighed about 60 pounds more than I do today. Uh, I was very irritable. I wasn't managing stress very well. And the thing is, and I talk to coaching clients about this all the time, a lot of it, a lot of my biggest shortcomings didn't happen between the time I showed up to work and the time I left work. But it was between the time I left work and the time I'd come back to work the next day. Mm-hmm. And once I started to figure that out, and I did that without coaching, by the way, but I did do it, um, work did get better. So I didn't exit USA Canoe Kayak during the low point of my work. Oh, good. I, we had a change of leadership. Things did get better. My work got better. My health got better. And But I also became a lot more curious through that period also um, serving America's best Olympic and Paralympic athletes is nice. Learn a lot. But I was also learning a lot about what it would it look like to apply some of these ideals of high performance to more people and more people who could really use this information to be of help to them in their lives and meet them where they are. And that became my new, uh, curiosity. So, It was a great experience. I'm so glad to be away from it. I'm so glad that's not where my life led, but I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I had, uh, the ups and the downs that went with
0: that. Well, you hit on something that I think is so important. And so um, it's not discussed enough. And that is taking care of yourself and modeling the behavior that you want to see. And if you're not taking care of yourself, I think what people need to understand is, whoever you're leading, they're watching you. And if you are a leader that embarrasses people or yells at people or you know, is authoritative, they believe that's the tone you are trying to set and that's what you want from them. And so when you're not taking care of yourself, they're not probably taking care of themselves either. And, you know, it takes a real strong sense of self to recognize that, oh no, I have to take care of myself and I'm going to create some boundaries. So I love that you have that awareness and you can look back on that time. It's such a great example for other leaders. Well, I I, and I, and
1: love that you actually bring that up even in the concept of just organization and teams because, you, you know, what's interesting is that I sort of painfully disengage from what you the, you know that really gr- those that great idea that you just mentioned when I was a CEO of USA Canoe kayak interestingly when I was an athlete in the two person canoe paddling with Scott Crosball we so this was we started paddling together in the late 1980s and we we won our gold medal in 1992 yeah. we were really different people like i don't want to say 180 degrees different <laughs> but probably about 179. And I like to say, had we been about 175, we probably would not have won the Olympic Games. I know that diversity has come to mean something very different in 2023 than it may have met in the late 1980s and the early 1990s. Yet that sense of what it means to be different and what you can do with differences was so powerful so as we built a team a lot of in a two person team a lot of the framework in which we did that two really different people it what we were really trying to bring the full best of ourselves forward like that was going to give the team the best chance so inherently when i was an athlete i had a good sense of what you are talking about yeah. but i didn't really practice that in the first couple of years that i was the ceo of usa canoe kayak Mm -hmm. I was just so busy. You know, I I don't think we had, we had the the same focus that some of the narrow minded (laughs) focus that an Olympic athlete has uh, the luxury of having almost uh, that a a wide ranging nonprofit sport organization is hard to kind of gain that same level of focus and clarity. But yeah, I think it's a really good point. It's just really hard to get started and do the work that you really want to do if you haven't taken care of yourself on uh, at some level.
0: Yeah. I I love that you shared all that. Um so all right, I want to I want to shift a little bit. You have a very unique and remarkable friendship with Chloe Smith. Can you talk a little bit about that story cuz <laughs> this is such a feel good story and I just I want you to share it. So, yeah, back in uh
1: 2016, um was in in Atlanta and uh, my daughter was probably about 16, 15 or 16 at the time, 15 at the time, I believe. Uh, And we we were at dinner in Atlanta. She was getting ready to fly out to Idaho to spend a a month of paddling out on the Payette River. And while we were uh, having dinner inside this restaurant, uh, a thief broke into our car and took my computer bag uh, from the car. There were a lot of things in the car, they took the computer bag and inside of that computer bag was my, (laughs) was my Olympic gold medal. (laughs) And um, so this was like two months prior to the Olympic games in Rio de Janeiro. So, you know, the Olympics were on the news, but it was kind of a slow news cycle in the Olympics (laughs) on this particular time. And this story kind of went viral, you know, and uh, we, we learned a lot in the process. So, Interestingly, the, I mean, the person who took the computer bag out of my car quickly sort of learned that I don't think they were expecting to steal an Olympic gold medal. like That wasn't what they they were after. But I think they just sort of realized there was some inherent risk in just everything that they had, uh, you know, the the bag they had taken. So anyway,, um, they, it seems somewhere along the way, the thief found my Olympic gold medal and discarded it by Mm -hmm. throwing it out the window. (laughs) And so about three weeks later, (laughs) three weeks later, um, there was uh, a guy and his daughter, eight year old daughter that were walking on the side of the road. It was in a, not a very nice part of Atlanta, but there were a lot of trees, but there were a lot of trash on the ground. And they were walking and Chloe, the eight year old little girl, picked up this um, this shiny thing off the ground. And the father you know, said, Chloe, put that down. Dad, you know, Chloe, how many times do I have to tell you? You know, you're picking up trash, put it down. And she just kind of flings this piece of trash through the air. And the father looks up and just sees it sparkle in the sun <laughs> and then says, Chloe, go pick that up. Dad, you told me to throw it away. Chloe, go pick that up. And Chloe goes and she picks up, and brings it back to her dad, and her dad takes it back. And uh, her mom, Charlamagne, saw the medal. She knew exactly. She she did a little research on the internet. She contacted me. She's like, Mr. Jacoby, we found your medal. So anyway, my daughter found your medal. Went down there, met Chloe, met the family, awesome. And we actually started to kayak together on the Chattahoochee oh. River. So I got a tandem plastic kayak from the uh, Nantahale Outdoor Center. We made a couple of runs down the river on the, which is, by the way, the Chattahoochee River is a great urban river that runs right through the middle of Atlanta. It's just you feel like a million miles away from yeah. downtown Atlanta when you're on this river. And Chloe and I had a ball. We had a great time. But she's the young person who found my Olympic gold medal after it was stolen.
0: I I love that story. And I love Steve Hartman. So I love that they shared that on YouTube. And if you haven't seen it, guys, go look at Joe's profile on LinkedIn. It's right there. Um, So great, great story. So um, for people that are going through midlife changes right now, I know this is a specialty for you. What are just a couple of tips you would give them?
1: Well, so first of all, if I can just take a moment and share a little bit about yeah, my, my my own story. Yeah. I and mean, I talked a little bit about USA Canoe Kayak, my health, my wellness, you know, sort of towards the end of my forties. I was not headed towards midlife transition. I was headed towards midlife crisis. I mean, I was really unhealthy. I was in a marriage that wasn't working. I just had a lot of things that were just so not in order. And listen, I, you know, I, I came out on a different side of it today, but it's made me really think like, why, how did I figure this out? Like, how did this really work out? And I started to write about this and, and I, I've been writing Sunday morning, Joe, for many, many years, about a year ago, I told every, you know, I have over a thousand subscribers to the newsletter Hey, I'm going to change gears. I really want to write about this. I'm really interested in the topic feel free to unsubscribe and it's just gone the opposite way. Like people want to talk more about this. So the idea here is that, you know, in the first half of our life, you know, we use, we rely heavily on our external self Mm -hmm. to develop our identities, to find our place in the world, to just establish who we are. And what this process helped me to do, including coming here to La Céodurgé, I was 22 years old when we won the Olympics and I've since kind of confronted not in a bad way. I have no regrets about the success we had at the Olympics. What I've confronted is maybe some of the expectations that I felt I needed to live up to, some of the things that I felt I needed to be correct about, how I formed relationships at that stage of life and how I just really clung to that identity. And I hit this moment, Lindsay, where I think my ego just said, uh, it's like waving the surrender flag. Like we've had enough. I I can't do this anymore. Like something's got to give here. And like, this was the beginning of just really kind of having like an honest conversation about that and kind of what it means to let go of part of that in favor of opening up something new and something different and what i always talk about is that i do think it's a shift from something very external to opening up a stronger conversation and a wider path for your internal self your internal voice to really speak up and be heard at this stage of life and so to me that is, there's a lot of letting go there's a lot of unlearning to do in this process you have to really be uh willing to kind of look at your beliefs and your perspective on things and maybe turn them into questions Mm -hmm. and just say like, is this really as true as I believe it to be? And I think once we start to do this process, I don't wanna sell this as like a path of happiness. It's not the point, what it is, is a path of meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think that doesn't, so that sort of invites the likelihood that it could be hard, it might be uncomfortable, maybe even painful, but I think if we're willing to go down that path, oh my gosh, can we open up a path, a new chapter of performing relative to us getting to set the mm-hmm. standard level, not someone else setting it for us, not someone saying at a young age, oh, Lindsay, you would be a great lawyer. You should go to law school. Right. Okay, law school. That's what I got to do. And you do that. And 20 years later, I'm sure you've coached those kind of people. Yeah. It's just like, it's a disaster waiting to be undone but that is the opportunity. And I do think that my promise is, is that I think if you're willing to do this, like this is not a done for you kind of thing, it's you stepping up to do it. But once you do, you can find a lot of collaboration, a lot of help and a lot of support that literally moves peak performance from something that used to happen in your life to something that exists just in front of you on a a daily basis. And that excites me about this stage of life.
0: Well, you, I mean, what you basically described was living with intention. And I think, you know, as awful as the pandemic was, it gave us a gift, at least it gave me a gift. And it was this pause in this moment to say, am I doing what fulfills me? Am I doing what I'm passionate about? Am I on the right track? Am I being true to myself? And um, I watched so many people and I'm coaching so many people that are having that same kind of awakening. Like, I wasn't meant to do what I'm doing right now. I actually think I'm more aligned with this and I don't think it's ever too late to try and figure that out. So I, I think it's really great that you phrase it the way you did. I I don't want to discount
1: the meaning of purpose at any stage of life. I just really want to double down on the importance of it at this midlife start of second half of life yeah. part. And I sort of call this the purpose principle. Mm. And what that means to me is like, this is the opportunity not to treat your inner self and outer self as a 50-50 split on making the purpose because how do you really know what exactly is 50-50? But if I say, we're going to treat your outer self as a 100% entity and we're going to treat your inner self as a 100% entity and together that's 200%, Now we really know what it's going to take to set purpose. I would venture to say that for a lot of people doing this for the first time in their 50s, the purpose setting process was probably a little bit, anywhere from a little bit to a lot more focused on the outer self and outer voice. And and so this is that way of saying the 200% purpose principle says, let's really find that way to balance it out and make sure that, you know, we start to kind of uh, make some amends with our inner voice that really starts to strengthen that voice, that pathway to where we kind of have what our sense of truth is, even if it's hard, even if it means like initially that may make some other people around us uncomfortable, but Mm -hmm. what's the cost of not doing it? I mean, we're going to, how much longer are we going to suppress that yeah. inner voice, and to me, I I just don't know of a bigger risk that like I'm sort of more apt to kind of pull out and and pull to the surface. And yeah. and again, I'm not hoping that it's hard and painful, but I also think it's really hard and painful to keep it there.
0: Yeah, yeah. To keep it I suppressed. It. I, I love how you said that. Okay, so changing gears a little bit. What inspires you?
1: I would say there's a couple of things um you know I I'm a little surprised uh, selfishly I'm just going to start with me I'm on the Joe side of things I'm a little bit surprised by I think what I'm capable of doing movement wise health wise you know <laughs> the ways I can sort of find to explore and enjoy nature and Test my limits, you know. At fifty-three years old, like that's really that it that excites me. But then, what really there's sort of a part two to that. What am I going to do with that? So I bring that into other elements of my life. Number one, my relationship with Maria, my girlfriend here in Catalonia, which I just enjoy so much. We've been together for a few years now, and that's wonderful. And then that the health plus that relationship kind of comes out more externally in my creative work, which extends not just into writing, but also into coaching. And I think on the coaching side, I think one of the things that sort of inspires me is that, um, or I think aspirationally is that if I can be in a position to do this for another 15 or 20 years, (laughs) that's my hope Then I think we stand to see some really awesome jumps in the, um, in the level of trust in the workplace. And what I hope that trust will yield is the opportunity for more people to bring their authentic selves out yeah. in the workplace.
0: Oh, you're singing my song.
1: Right, <laughs> right. So this kind of does get still get back to like, what is being held down in the interest of what we're saying to our leaders? You know, and I say this to the leaders I coach all the time. If you come in and you say to your team tomorrow, hey, something bad happened. We need to pivot hard to the left. Who's with me? Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to raise their hand. And you know what? Everyone really wants to do a good job for you as well. Mm-hmm. But what you're not going to hear is like, what challenges that they're having in their relationships at home, the mm-hmm. sick parent, the, you know, the young person that's being bullied in school, the troubled marriage, the health issues. You're never going to hear that part of it. And if we don't open ourselves up in some way to embrace that part of it the person that's raising their hand and say oh i'm with you on the pivot to the left what are you expecting out of that person like you know do you want that to be a kind of a good performance mm. performance or do you want that to be a fully engaged performance there is a difference in there and i just feel aspirationally if we can sort of stick around and kind of work on this slowly person by person coaching relationship by coaching relationship over the next 15, 20 years, I think we're going to see some amazing improvements. I don't want to say that there won't be some challenges that will come with what I'm talking about, but I think, you know, I would just rather live in a world where people are bringing their full selves forward to all that they do in life and all that they're meant to be in life.
0: Love that. Well, you've led me into the next question, um, which is what would you like your legacy to be?
1: I don't think about the, the, this a lot, Lindsay. I, I honestly don't. I said, so, and let me kind of articulate this with a story. And I guess, in a sense, the legacy will sort of take care of itself. Right now, I am sitting right next to the Olympic canoeing course. I can actually hear the river rapids from my window. The river's on right now, but just beyond the tree that's recently come into bloom which now obstructs my view of the Olympic start line. And I remember, I like talking about my experience, the 60 seconds that I, my canoe partner and I had sitting on the start line of the 1992 Olympic games, waiting for our opportunity to cross the start line and begin our Olympic run. It's such a humbling space. It's precious, but it's raw. And there's no self-talk. There's none of that. And here's the thing that I've come to know and learn about Olympic start lines or any start lines. It doesn't do you any good to sit on the start line and think about what color medal you're going to win when you cross (laughs) the finish line. It's just energy that's just going away from what you could be doing right now. And I don't know, I kind of look a little bit at legacy, a little bit like a finish line. Like it'll work itself out when it's time to work itself out. But I would rather just take that energy and put it into what I have right now. I have a real sense of insignificance in the world, Like, but I say that in a really healthy, positive kind of way, making my peace with that. I mean, I've looked at enough amazing people who have passed during my lifetime that we probably don't think about, but yet their contributions to the world that we live in are not are not lost and not forgotten. And so I just trust the universe to sort of work in the way it's supposed mm-hmm. to. But yeah, I, I don't think about the legacy question too much. Oh,
0: cool. I love it. So Joe, how can people find you?
1: Well, the best thing to probably do is to go on LinkedIn, you know, it's uh, find me there. And, um, and also in the show notes, maybe we can include a link to uh, my Sunday Morning Joe newsletter, I write less than a dozen essays a year. And I hope they're interesting. I like to write about these midlife transitions, which are interesting. And uh, yeah, and I would love to hear from people. And as we promote that wherever the episode is promoted. I will try to be interactive in the comments. So if people have questions, want to reach out, I'd love to keep the conversation going, Lindsay.
0: Well, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you for being on. I loved all your stories and I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at h 4 h or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.